Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. We're excited to be here this morning. Uh, this morning, I'm going to continue in our sermon series, uh, Finish the Fight. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Pastor Omar and talking to some of the pastors, and I'll tell you uh, that this has been preached uh, every single way that you could think of. And so uh, maybe this morning might be somewhat of a, of a recap, but I believe that God really wants to inspire us this morning and really wants to challenge us in this, in this thought of, uh, of finishing the fight, and not only finishing the fight, but uh, while we're here fighting the good fight of faith, the Bible Bible says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, But you, O man of God, escape these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Say that. Fight the good fight of faith. Come on. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so here in this, here in this, this really this letter uh, to Timothy, Paul is writing to a spiritual son, and he's, and he's trying to really uh, inspire him and, and, uh, and challenge him to fight against this thought of discontentment and temptation and the sin of selfishness. See, Paul's giving some specific uh, uh, instructions and, uh, to, to motivate him, to direct him, to be the person that God has called him to be, to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness, faith, patience, and gentleness. This is really what it means to fight the good fight of faith. Now, for many of us, uh, maybe not all of us, some are, some are fighters. Some may identify as fighters. Others may identify as lovers. We need you both, okay? No, no judgment here. But, but typically, fighting is inherent to us. It's, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our nature. Now, uh, some things, uh, so, some things uh, many of us will decide whether that's worth fighting for or not. But I, 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 would, uh, I would venture to say that if someone came after you personally or someone came after someone that you loved, that naturally that you would put up a fight. Would you agree with that? And so this fighting is inherent to us. It's part of who we are, no matter what size, what age. I mean, how many of you have seen, maybe you have children, uh, and they want to fight for what's theirs, right? You try to take a toy, you try to take their food or something like that, and it's on, right? And so it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what it is, uh, this fighting kind of nature is in all of us. And what we want to do in this series, and really what I believe the Spirit of God is wanting to do to the church, is really to stir up this aggression in faith. That, that we wouldn't allow the fight to, uh, to tear apart our lives. Many of us, at times, we're sitting, we're, we're sitting aside passively as the enemy is ripping our lives apart, as, as the enemy is ripping our families apart, as, as the enemy is ripping our destiny apart. And really this morning, my, my hope is that through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be engaged in this, because understand this, there's no greater cause than the cause of Christ. There's no greater cause to fight than to fight for the good faith and to fight for your family, to fight for what God has for you. I think about this in my life. I think about the legacy of faith in which I'm trying to establish for generations behind me. That's worth fighting for. And I think there's those that are here in this room that would agree with me that that's worth fighting for. 
So this fight of faith is a good fight. It's a worthy cause. It consists of God's will and cultivating this, this, uh, this nature and this godliness within us that we would live this out every single day of our lives. And it's about deciding to fight temptations every single day. Every single day, there's things that are going on that are coming against our mind, coming against our heart, that's, uh, that's in, in opposition to the will of God. It's in opposition to the Spirit of God and what God is sp speaking to each and every one of us. And all of these things are here to draw us away from God's will and God's purpose in our lives. See, many of us have the misconception that walking this life of faith is kind of uh, just going to be problem-free, like you're just walking through a bed of roses, like, well, now I'm saved, and now I got the power of the Holy Spirit in me, and now I could just kind of coast through life, and, and things are going to work out. How many of us know that that's absolutely wrong? How many of us know that the moment that we decide to give our lives to Christ, the moment that we decide to stand for truth, uh, to stand for righteousness, that the opposition gets even heavier? That the, that the problems and the pressures of life, it almost, it almost seems to multiply against us. And so this is a misconception that we have that we would just walk into God's perfect will and God's perfect plan. In fact, we have to fight for every inch. We have to fight for every, every foot of progress. Now, unfortunately, in today's Christianity, and I, I, this is what I love about our church, this is what I love about our network, is that uh, we, we preach the full gospel. We preach the fact that in this life there will be struggles. In this life there will be troubles. Jesus said it. And so, uh, but many Christians like to emphasize blessing. Now, I like blessing. Give me blessing, right? Uh, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't like blessing, but that's not the emphasis, it's not about the blessing. It's not about uh, uh, prosperity. It's not about any of these things. And oftentimes, we're hypnotized by this blessing or this prosperity gospel and leaving out the truth that there is battle, that there's going to be conflict, and that it's a daily fight. And so Timothy, or, or Paul, is encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, now, the word fight means to struggle or to agonize over something. And the New Testament uses, uses this fight, or Paul really uses this fight, to convey the ideas of pain and distress and conflict that we're going to face every single day. Now, it's not God's will necessarily that we struggle, that your life is hard. That's not that God doesn't intend for that. It's a natural cause of our carnality. Now, all of us naturally in ourselves, without the, the anointing, without the grace of God, God, without the power of the Holy Spirit in us, naturally, we are carnal people. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're selfish, that we want what is best for us, uh, and disregarding, quite honestly, most of the time, what, 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 what that impact is on anybody else. The, the fight is our mindset that struggles against the things of God and the ideas and the philosophies of this world. The, the, the fight is people, those that oppose us, those that, are, uh, that, that we have to live with and that we have to deal with every single day. This, is, this contributes to this fight and to this conflict in our lives. And most importantly, the fight comes from the enemy. Now, many of us, we, 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 we're, we're so carnal that we've, we miss this often. We think that the boss is after us. We think that uh, our coworkers are after us. We think uh, that, that those people in our lives are opposing us and, and neglecting and really being oblivious to the spiritual fight that we're all in. 
the, the, the demonic influences and, and, and the strategies of hell that are uh, set up for you as an individual to, to, to destroy what God has planned for your life and for your family. Now, we understand this, that God hasn't left us to our own capacity to fight, but God has empowered us by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many faith-filled, Holy Spirit-filled believers are in this house? How many of them? Okay, so, so God has given you the ability to fight. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 12, it says, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, what is, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying not be strong in your own confidence or your own ability, but being strong in the power of capital H, his might. That's the Holy Spirit. He encourages the Ephesian church to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen to this, for our fight is not against flesh and blood. So your fight is not against your spouse. Your fight is not against your coworkers. Your fight is, is not against your children or your family members. Your fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the thought of this is that the fight is not here to intimidate us. The fight really here in this word should inspire us to live a life for Christ. To live a life of Christ that's more purposeful. It's more intentional. Uh, it, it's more matter of fact. See, we're fighting for more souls to be reached. This is who we are. Reach, restore, release. We want to fight for more souls to be saved. We want to stand up for righteousness in, in, in spite of the trend of this culture. We want to reach our community. We want to reach our friends. We want to reach our family. Ultimately, we want to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that because it's worth fighting for. I want us to pray this morning, just real quick. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, in this next couple of moments, God, that you would just be with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us revelation, give us understanding. I pray that there would be those that are sitting in this room this morning, God, those that are fighting uh, uh, ferociously, those that are fighting aggressively. Father, for your will, for your call, I, I believe that there's even those, Father, this morning that have, have stepped away from the fight, God, and that they're just living a passive life. I pray this morning by your Holy Spirit, that we'd be inspired, that we'd be challenged to get in the fight. I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Timothy is talking to, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is talking to Timothy. This is a son in the faith. This is one that he has great love for, a disciple uh, that he has mentored uh, for, for a certain amount of time. And he's now sent him out to go do the work of God. And so these letters that, that Paul is writing in what we call the book of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, is really his final words. And you could say that it's, it's Paul's swan song. This is kind of like the end of his life where he's looking. Uh, 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 he's looking back at his life and reflecting on the things that have happened, and he's looking forward to what's next to come. Now, uh, if you understand the context of this, uh, uh, or Paul is writing this in a dungeon. He's he's uh, he's in Rome. He's getting ready to be martyred and to be killed. And so these are his final last words. And and I, I think about this. Uh, uh, may, maybe you, you've experienced this. Maybe there's someone that you know, a loved one that um, that was on their deathbed or on on their way out, 
And the words that they speak are so precious in those moments. I think oftentimes just reflecting in my own life, when, when, I w- when I'm with someone, I think about uh, my mom uh, specifically, and I think about her sitting uh, in, in, in a hospital bed and realizing that she is on her deathbed. And in those moments when she would speak words, it was more, it, it would resonate with me just a little bit more. I would kind of lean into those words and really listen to what she, what she was saying and really listen to the heart in which she's saying it. And so the same way we should be reading these these letters to Timothy, that as Paul is reflecting on his life, he's kind of giving out his final last words uh, to someone that he loves. And so 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I'll read that here. It says, this is Paul talking, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, that's a powerful statement that Paul is making of, his, of, him, of himself. And I think that there's many of us that would aspire to be able to say that at the end of their lives. I certainly do. But in this, really, this word of inspiration, in this word of confidence that, that, uh, that Paul is giving to Timothy, as we read that, we say amen. As we read that, we agree with that. Uh, it, it resonates with us. But I, I'm, I'm sure that there's, the, there's, there's many of us that are in here, as we go through our life day to day, now I understand in this moment, we're here in church, Sunday morning, we have throne room worship that's going on, and we just feel the glory and the presence of God. And in these moments, moments we're inspired, we're confident, we're full of faith. But the moment that we step out, Monday morning or whatever it is, the moment that we step out and we hit opposition, we begin to think about these things and we begin to question these things. I think that there's some of us that walk around with this haunting suspicion that we're potentially wasting our lives. That, that when we serve, when there's opportunities to come, uh, we, 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 we show up when, when, uh, when there's times of gatherings, whether that's connect group or Sunday services. We're intentional about our community. We reach out to each other. We're hanging out. Uh, that's something that Reach Church does very, very well is we hang out, we eat, and, and, and we enjoy each other. But we go from these things, uh, from one thing to the next, and I think that there's some of us that silently wonder, is there more to all of this? And I I think about this, and only if we could have the confidence that Paul had to know without a shadow of a doubt that his service for the Lord wasn't in vain. To be convinced that the life lived for Christ is one that we'll never regret. His word was, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, this crown of righteousness. And so, one man uh, viewed this, this really epitaph of Paul uh, in his confidence and said that it came from three glances. Now, track with me here real quick. So Paul was able to say this because there was three things that I believe that he recalled in his life. Now, the first glance was downward to the grave. And he was, as he's writing to Timothy, he sees that death is imminent. Death is coming. It's, it's, not, it's not if he's going to die, the, his days are numbered at this point. It's, it's, he's already been sentenced to death. And so he's looking down to the grave and, he, and he, tells, uh, he tells Timothy, he says, the time of my departure has come. His death is near. This is the last time that he's going to talk or that Timothy's going to hear from Paul. And 
Paul will soon set off to this, this reward that his confidence is based in. Paul says, uses language like he's going to be poured out as a drink offering. We, we know that he's going to be martyred. And so he looks down at the grave. He looks at death eye to eye. And this is a sight that terrifies so many of us. Many of us don't like to think about what that's going to be when we finally meet our maker or when death finally comes to us. But the confidence that, that, that Paul had in who Christ was and, 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 and the Savior in which he served, his confidence was so strong that he was able to look at death and not shrink back. In fact, he stepped forward in his last days. He became more bold in his witness, and he continued to, to, uh, to preach the gospel everywhere he went. He wrote to the Philippian church that he was hard-pressed between his desire to stay on this earth for their benefits or to be with Christ, which he said was much greater. And so there was this conflict that even Paul had in his last days that, yes, he loved the community. Yes, he loved uh, being able to be used by God and fulfilling the call of God in his life. But his heart was, and his desire was to be with his Lord. And I think that there's some of us at times in our lives that we could be caught in the same tension where life is hard and, and we're trying to plug through and we're fighting this good fight of faith, but we desire so much for this all to be over. And so, so Paul had this confidence in knowing that his life was not a waste, that the service in his life was not a waste. I mentioned this, and I think that many of us could, could aspire to have this epitaph that, uh, as Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And so Paul is comparing his life to a soldier that's been on mission and now has come home. He's completed his mission. He's done everything that the commander has called him to do. And now he's stepping back home and reflecting back on the service. He's, he's uh, comparing his life to a runner that's past the finish line. One that's running a marathon that has been grueling and tiring and painful. And now he's past that finish line and now he's in a place of rest. Looking forward to the crown that God has for him. You see, he's looking back at his life with no regrets. And many of us, we understand that Paul, for a large portion of his life, was the enemy of the church. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He martyred Christians. And as he looks back at his life, he realizes the grace and the faithfulness of God. That even in his time where he was an enemy of God, that God was so gracious that he would redeem him and that he would justify him and that he would use him for something purposeful. He looks back at that and he's, he's amazed by the faithfulness of God. He's amazed by the grace of God. The last glance that, that Paul has is forward to Christ or forward to his reward. And Paul knew that it was only a couple of heartbeats away before he would meet his Lord. And, and he says these words, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all of us who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And so he would soon receive this crown of righteousness from, uh, from his God, and not based on his own doing. And so he's not looking at his service and saying, well, God, he's not reminding God of everything that he did for him in his life. He's not saying, God, yeah, I remember this one time that I was an enemy, but look at all these good things that I've done since then. That's not what he's doing. 
See, Paul realizes that it's the grace of God alone that will allow him to step into this final reward. And so he's not, he, he's not propping up his human effort. He's not propping up his good deeds. He's not laying them out before God saying, God, remember these things. He's stepping into the grace and the mercy and the justice of God. And he's realizing this, and, he, and in this, he's encouraged as, he, as he's finishing this fight. Now, three things that I want to look at here quickly is fighting the good fight of faith, finishing the race or finishing well, and the last thing is that we would, that we would endure to the end. And so fighting the good fight you may have heard this quote before, there's three types of people in the world. There's those who make things happen, there's those who watch things happen, and there's those who wonder what happened. And I think in this Christian fight, I think that we could identify all three of them. Maybe even in our, in our own walk, at one point in our lives, we've been all three of them. We've been one that's been engaged, fully engaged in the fight, serving and evangelizing, witnessing to people that we love, uh, stepping out in faith and believing God for miracles. At times, there's been, though, there, there's been times in our lives, and I could see in myself, where I took a step back and I, I'm watching revival pass me by. And there's other times in my life, unfortunately, that the boat just passed me. I had no idea what happened. And so for us to fight this good fight of faith, we have to be engaged. We have to get in the fight. So th listen to this. The fight's not always easy progress. You know, I used to think this way. I used to think that, okay, uh, if, if I give my life to, to, to God, I understand I'm completely lost. And so I start kind of here in complete lostness and brokenness. And, and, and so in this point where I have a revelation of who Christ is in my life and I give my life to Christ, my thought was that in time, I would just kind of work towards righteousness and work towards holiness. And it was just kind of like this straight line from complete lostness and brokenness to perfection. And, and thinking that just time and patience would, would make things better and better. Now, I understand after walking with the Lord for, uh, for several decades that that's just not the way that it works. In fact, you know, uh, this justification, and, and maybe to give a little bit of theology, justification, when we're justified by God, that happens instantaneously. So this morning, you could be an, an enemy of God. You could be lost in sin. And the moment that you give your life to God, the moment that you surrender your life to Christ, and Christ comes into your life, you are justified and sealed in Christ. That's something to be excited about. So from that moment, we talk about sanctification. And we talk about how sanctification is a progressive step little by little. So sanctification, what that means is, okay, in a moment you're justified, you're in right standing with God. And then the sanctification process begins to work. And little by little, you begin to change your mindset. Little by little, you begin to change uh, habits and actions. You begin to speak a little bit differently. You begin to treat people a little bit differently. Uh, your mindset 
mindset and your philosophy changes little by little as the Holy Spirit is working these things out. And we celebrate that. We're excited about that. But very rarely we ever talk about this regressive sanctification. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this, that we could start out good. We could start out walking this walk of faith where God is, God is very present in our lives. We feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and things are changing and people are recognizing the change in our lives and we're walking in lockstep with God. But before we know it, as we begin to relax in those disciplines, as we begin to relax in those habits, we begin to regress back to that carnality and to that, uh, to, to that broken kind of person that we were. And it, it, it happens little by little. It doesn't happen just all of a sudden. It doesn't happen just uh, one day. In fact, it happens little by little as we just begin to regress away from this sanctification process. And so this is a fact that we could fight faithfully for years and later be found completely lost. I think about those that have have, uh, have abandoned the fight, those that have been serving, those that have been walking with the Lord, that the things of this world just overcame, they just overwhelmed them, and they, li- they lost sight of their, uh, of their Savior. They lost sight of the fight. They lost sight of the just cause. And so this good fight is an earthly fight to the death. It never ends. You never get to a point where you can say, okay, I'm good, I fought, now I'm just going to kind of sit here and coast the rest of the way. The moment that you do that, listen to this, it's like, it's like swimming upstream. If you've ever been in a river, uh, we used to go, uh, we've gone to uh, Kern River, and, and uh, that, that current is pretty strong, and it's like swimming upstream. The moment that you stop fighting, or the moment that you stop swimming that way, you start to regress back. And, and as we're doing this, as we're swimming upstream, we're understanding that this river in which we're fighting is a river of this culture and sin and the things that are anti-Christ, demonic influences, the things that are opposing us. And the moment that we stop swimming, we start going backwards. We never stay at that level of sanctification unless we continue to fight forward in the power of God. So the good fight isn't for prosperity. It's not for for getting things or getting blessings. However, that is a result of walking with God, is that God would bless you, that God would strengthen you. But really the fight is for knowing Christ as our personal Savior. See, the fight of faith isn't a fight for the prosperity gospel, health, wealth, and prosperity. It's a fight for a relationship with Jesus that enables us to say, I count everything as a loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, this should be our ultimate burning desire to, to desire Christ more than anything. Now, this is, this is my word of encouragement to you that God is totally for you. God is totally for you. God does not oppose you. God is for you. And so we don't fight to get God to be for us. So this morning, you're not serving. You're not uh, serving God to convince him to be for you. The moment that you're justified, the moment that you're in Christ, God is for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. So we're not working for God to to be for us or to be on our side. But because he is on our side, we're able to fight this good fight of faith. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us every single day to fight this fight of faith. Romans 8 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you and I. So God is for us. All of this happens through faith in Christ Jesus. Christ is our righteousness. Christ uh, is, is, is holy for us, not incrementally. Not because you did good today, now, now Christ is for you. But once we are in Christ, Christ is there for us, interceding on our behalf. So whatever horrible things you've done, whatever, whatever things that are tempting you, those things that are coming against you, does not uh, incrementally remove the blessing or remove the power of God in our lives, but it is fully for us and going ahead of us. Now a couple things for us to finish this race well. How many of us want to finish, want to finish well? Want to finish this fight well? See, Paul was confident that he had endured to the end. He was confident in his statement and, and what's unfortunate is if you read in 2 Timothy, just a little bit further, you, you read of uh, a couple of co-workers that uh, were in the ministry with Timothy. The Bible says, uh, or, or Paul says in his letter, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, here's two men that had worked together uh, Paul and Demas. And Demas had a lot of promise. Demas was a disciple full of the Holy Spirit, powerful and, and, uh, and committed to this fight. But unfortunately, at the, end of, uh, at the end of the line here, Paul says that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. If you read in Philemon chapter tw or verse 24, uh, Paul calls Demas a fellow worker, one that was with him and helping him advance this cause for Christ. And what, ultimately what we could say is that Demas went from a defender of the faith to a deserter of the faith. From disciple to deserter. Now, this is a sobering thought, and, and I'm not making judgment on Demas. We never hear about Demas ever again in the Scripture, so we don't know exactly what happened. But as I read this and I think about my own life and how I'm serving the Lord in my own context today and how it would be so unfortunate, it would be so tragic that it would be written of me one day that, yeah, Isaac, I remember him. I remember he used to pastor. I remember he used to lead a connect group. I remember he used to be on fire for God. But he, he fell in love with this world, and he left us. This should be a sobering thought for all of us, many of us that are self-righteous, thinking that uh, we have it all together. How quickly, Demas, how, De how quickly Demas was removed from the story in the fight of faith. Now, we know that we could assume that Demas never started out that way. He never had any intention to desert Paul in the work for Christ. He had every intention to finish this race well, just like many of us. He undoubtedly expected that he would also stand firm and that he would also finish well. And, and the thought about this is, the, is this fact is that we never finish until we die. And so all of us, young or old, we need to understand this warning that comes to us from this example of Demas. And so how can we finish this fight well? The one thing that we could do and I encourage you is to have daily communion with God. 
Now, what does that mean exactly? That means having fellowship with Christ every single day. Now, as we come here and we're praying and we're reading, I'm preaching the word of God to you. That's great. That's powerful. But we say that we say this often. That's not enough. If you think that uh, me pouring into you this morning is going to be enough for you to face the challenges that you're going to face Monday morning, you're you're fooled. And so we have to have this daily communion with God. I, I love I, I love the way. Uh, this illustration, and before there was a GPS system, sailors used to navigate with a certain navigation tool. W- would you guys put that? Would you guys put that uh, that picture up? So back before the, the internet and GPS, they used this navigation tool, and sailors to find their course or to chart their course and to make sure that they stayed on course, they would they would use this system twice a day, morning and evening or dusk and dawn. And what they would do is they would calibrate uh, their navigation to make sure that they were on course. Now, undoubtedly, every single time, without fail, they would have to make minor course corrections using this navigation tool. So this navigation is somewhat of a true north. This is where we need to go, and this is how we need to get there. And so twice a day, they would check in using this navigation tool, And every single time, without fail, there would have to be a course correction. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the Word of God. I was thinking about our time with God and how this would be our modern-day navigation tool. That every day as we open up the Word of God, and as the Word of God is a mirror to each and every one of us, and it would highlight areas in our lives that need to be course corrected, if we're doing that every single day, if we're doing that with any, any kind of frequency, naturally we'd be able to make these minor course corrections and stay on, the, stay on path. Unfortunately, many of us don't. And little by little, as you're in this walk with Christ, as you're in this fight, we begin to drift little by little by little. And I believe this is what happened to Demas, that Demas just... Over the course of his life and serving, just little by little, he began to drift off until he was completely lost and lost his way. I think that could be said for many of us, is that as we don't, as, as we don't take the time for personal communion with God, personal relationship, personal one-on-one time with God, that naturally we could find ourselves like Demas drifting far away. Psalm 63, 1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so I want you to notice the intensity of the words that the psalmist is saying, Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And my flesh faints for you. I want nothing more than the Spirit of God in my life. That's the first thing we could do is have daily communion with God. The second thing that we could do, and I think this is important, is that we would apply the gospel message to our lives personally. Now, I understand that there's a lot of those of you that are Christian, uh, Christians filled with, with the Holy Spirit, disciples, uh, you may say, but I think that we have, to, we have to often apply the gospel to our lives before we could preach it out to other people. I think that the gospel needs to be an application before we could go out and we could preach it. And so daily in, our, in my communion with God, I come to my heart posture to God, just like the tax collector in the temple where he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, a broken person. 
And if we start our days off in this posture that, God, I realize the carnality in who I am. I realize the, the eventual drift that I could have throughout my life, and I need your mercy and your grace on my life. I believe that we posture ourselves in a place that will allow us to finish well. The last thing that I would say is that we need to have a daily commitment to God as a living sacrifice. We know the scriptures in Romans 12, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And as we daily reflect on this gospel and what God has done for each and every one of us, this should naturally lead us to a place of self-sacrifice. Now, Paul is using this language, and, and uh, this is in closing. I can have the, the worship team come, come up here. In closing, I want you to think about this. The language that Paul is using in, in this letter uh, where he says that, or, or in his letter to, to the Romans, that he, he's talking about sacrifice, really what he's pointing back to is an Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. And those sacrifices are all detailed in Leviticus. I don't have time to get into that. But I'll tell you this, that all of those different sacrifices that are listed are ultimately to portray the ultimate sacrifice in Christ Jesus. That Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice once and for all for each and every one of us that would accept him and, and, and call him Lord in our lives. Now one sacrifice that I want to bring special attention to is the burnt sacrifice. And the burnt sacrifice and the burnt offering was the only one in which the entire animal was laid upon the altar. And it signified not only atonement for sin, so not only our penance or our, our restitution for sin, but it also represented consecration of the person offering that burnt offering. And so, uh, so in addition to that, the priests on duty were, were also there, and they were required to keep a burning offering on the altar at all times. The Bible says in Leviticus... Uh, chapter 6, verse 12, they don't have it. I'll read it to you. It says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship of offerings on it. Verse 13, The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. And so in other words, there was always a burnt offering being consumed on the altar. And I think about this. If we want to finish this fight well, I believe just as Paul was, was encouraging the Romans to present themselves as a living sacrifice, I stand here this morning and I encourage you to present your lives as, as a living sacrifice, as a whole burnt offering that every day, it's, it's interesting that in the Levitical sacrificial system that God ordered the, the Levites to do this twice a day. And I think about that. I think about our course correction that at day and night that we would, we would recalibrate our lives and we would recalibrate our hearts and our posture towards God. And as the Levites, directed, as the Levites were directed to offer up this burnt offering day and night to keep that fire burning, my question to you, Christian, this morning is how is your fire burning? I believe that there's those in this room that your fire is burning bright. It's vibrant. That the presence of God is, is, is tangible and alive in your life. I believe in this room that there's those 
that your, your, your fire is barely simmering. It's a light fire. It's, it's barely there. We're, we're running out of firewood. We're, we're running out of offering. And I also believe in this room that there's those that your fire is completely cold. No longer are you offering your life. No longer are you offering your desires. No longer are you offering your carnality and your brokenness and laying that at the altar. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.